This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review Without You I'm Nothing by Placebo. Sonically, I think that mixes in a really interesting way, even on this record. I think it's just one of the coolest sounding songs of that decade. Doesn't really stand out. No. Not, not very memorable. You go right to hell. You go to hell and you die. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me for episode 139 of season three, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay. Oh, yeah. Are you there, Jay? All yes. Right. Okay, good. Want to make sure. I didn't want to, I didn't want to launch this thing without you. <laughs> so we're getting into the fall season, Jay, and that's new album season. I don't know if you know that, but it's, uh, it's new album season. It is? Well, it seems like it, because basically a lot of the episodes that we're going to be doing during September mm-hmm. and at the end of August and into October are all related to new albums that are coming out by bands. And uh, we just did, uh, what did we just do? Well, we just did a request to review, but the, the one's coming up. So this is... this is uh... To the wet sprocket. Yeah, well, in in theory, or in, in, in terms of when they're launched, that episode actually comes out after this episode. Oh. Yeah. You just spoiled it. All right. It's all right. So we've got new albums from uh, Total Witch Rocket and, and this band that we're reviewing today, Placebo. They have a new album out. It's called Louder Than Love, out this month on Universal Records. Or no, sorry, Loud Like Love, not Louder Than Love. <laughs> Loud like love. No, they not. They did not re-record the Soundgarden uh, album it, "Louder Than Love." Loud um, like love. Yeah, good. Okay. I thought you were gonna say it was song remains the same. They have. Yeah. Houses of the Holy. Black Sabbath four. <laughs> they have. No. Loud like love. It's their seventh album, and so we thought, what a great time to revisit Placebo. Jay, I know you were familiar with Placebo, but how familiar? familiar you how familiar were you with placebo uh i have a couple of the records um I earlier remember, stuff or later stuff or sort of a mixture uh i think mid era so sleeping with goats ghosts and meds sleeping with goats the, with goats i like that one sleeping with goats sleeping with medicated goats <laughs> um those are like mid 2000 records i think uh 2003 yeah and I remember the single Pure Morning. Yep, which is on the record we're going to review. Yep. Uh, I was also like, I'm more of a singles guy. I have like their their greatest hits album that came out. Mm-hmm. Um, once more with feeling. And I didn't actually listen to much of their album work, to be honest, until we got into this review. I was always content with just a few songs from them, and uh, we'll get into why. But uh, why don't we do a uh, why don't we do some history of the band here? History of the band. So Placebo formed in London, England, in 1994 by Brian Malko on vocals and guitar, Stefan Olsdell on guitar and bass, guitar and bass, guitar and bass. And they originally formed as Ashtray Hart. They originally asked Steve Hewitt to, to join on drums, but he declined because he was in another band. So Robert Schulzberg uh, became their drummer for their first album, which was released in July of 1996 on Hut Records. 
self-titled. Uh, Scholzberg then left the band, and since Hewitt was no longer in his previous band, he joined the band on drums. And they recorded and released their second album, Without You, I'm Nothing, which we're reviewing for this episode, in October of 1998 on Hut, and then also re- released on Virgin Records. Uh, that Later that year, they appeared as T-Rex in a movie. Jay, do you know what movie that is? Oh, uh, what's the name of it? Uh, Christian Bale. Velvet Goldmine? Yes, Velvet Goldmine. Pow. Uh, boom. Yeah, they, they appear as the band T-Rex in uh, playing 20th Century Boy in one of the hmm. scenes. They released their third album, Black Market Music, in October of 2000. Their fourth album, which you mentioned, Sleeping with Ghosts, in March of 2003. And they released a covers album in September of 2003 featuring covers of bands like The Pixies, Big Star, Depeche Mode, Kate Bush. Their first singles compilation came out in November of 2004. It was called Once More with Feeling, singles 1996-2004. Their fifth album, Meds, came out in March of 2006. In 2007, Steve Hewitt was fired and replaced in the following year by Steve Forrest on drums. So they they found another Steve, which I guess was when you have to yell at your drummer, it's good to keep the same name. Convenient. Convenient. Sixth album, Battle for the Sun, June 2009, that came out, interestingly enough, on Vagrant Records in the United States. That's odd. Yeah. And then in June of 2009, or yeah, I guess it was the same time period, uh, their B-Sides album, 1996 to 2006, came out. And then, as I mentioned, this month, Loud Like Love their first album for Universal Records, and their seventh album overall. If you would like to suggest an album for us to review, head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com and hit up our request a review page so you can give us an album to check out. And we did get some Facebook feedback on this record. Some familiar names chiming in. Dimitri Dumitri says, Probably their best album. They gradually became their own character caricature from then on. Big album in Europe. Eric Grubbs says placebo's breakthrough you don't care about us and the title track are some of the best on this so jay we both mentioned having some familiarity with placebo not diehards but not completely ignorant so uh let me ask you when it comes to without you i'm nothing is this an album you can live without or are you nothing without it? <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure I can, I can live without any record. Um, I love music, but let's be serious here. Bullshit. You um, can't live without uh, Faster Pussycats uh, debut. <laughs> I'm not saying life would be great. I'm saying I would still breathe and exist uh, as an organism. I need you to be more emo on that one, Jay. Be more emo. What record can you not live without? Well, this still, uh, yeah, I mean, this album is, uh, it, it is a bit melodramatic, so I can see where you're going with that. Um, I should kind of be in that headspace um, where everything is a matter of life and death and um, everything's so painful. Uh, this record is, uh, I don't know, that's my favorite record of theirs. 
I, I tend to like the middle era stuff that I think was referred to as a parody of themselves. Um, the reason why is I think it sounds more unique for that very, you know, that I guess you could take another look at that, that way, that reference of, you know, being a, a parody of itself. I think the middle era stuff sounds like placebo, whether that's them mimicking themselves or not. You could argue about that, but <clears throat> I don't think it sounds as derivative as some of the stuff on this record does to me. Hmm. Um, specifically, I think there's a heavy new order um, influence on this record, which I don't have an issue with new order. It just, uh, so a song like track three, you don't care about us, you know, has some very new order style kind of baseline guitar. Oh, yeah. Interplay. It's angsty in the chorus. It even sounds a little bit like the Manix to me. On a lot of the slower stuff, slower kind of moody stuff, uh, I hear kind of a Pink Floyd kind of thing. And then a song like uh, Scared of Girls, to me, sounds like a B-side off of, you know, the Pumpkins' Melancholy. Hmm. So there's a lot of, um, of the material here that I don't love. There's a lot of, I think it's a lot more derivative than I ever thought this band was. Because when I think of this band, I wasn't as familiar with this record. I'm familiar with, like I said, the middle area. And I always thought of them as being, for the most part, an original band. Like it, even a song like Pure Morning, I think is, you know, it's it's wholly them. I don't hear a lot of other um, yeah. sounds coming through on, on that song. Um, and the middle air stuff is the same way. Um, so it was a little bit weird for me to visit this record and start to hear all of these other influences coming through a lot stronger. Um, you know, what, what this band is about to me is obviously the vocal, the vocal style, the delivery, the tone. Um, you know, it's kind of like a glam version of Getty Lee or like Getty Lee and David Bowie together or something. Um, and sonically, I think that mixes in a really interesting way, even on this record, um, when you got kind of the buzzed out guitars, you know, or the, um, even the clean stuff. So a song like uh, Ash for Answers, where it is, you know, a cleaner song, really chimey, uh, vibrato-y guitars, uh, kind of a warble um, 
going on with, I don't know, if they're using like a tremolo bar or something, but his voice mixes really well, I think, with that kind of sound, as well as it does with, um, say, a song like um, Allergic to the Thoughts of Mother Earth, which is, you know, a thicker, heavier sounding song, but his voice kind of has, it, it sits really nice above that and it's really uh and that song it's you know really clean it's got a lot of delay on it it's sort of like this cool layering of uh of the mix when you're working with a voice like that i think it's easy to find space to put it in mm-hmm. so they're very much defined by that that sound of that um his vocal for sure and that that carries across to all of their records um the thing i don't like about it is that he especially on this record i think it's it's more obvious to me he has a certain I guess style that he likes to use for for writing and for phrasing and creating hooks. Um, I like to get your thoughts on this. Is that you know he's rep, he uses repetition quite a bit, mm-hmm. um, either repeating you know phrases or even like a song like Pure Morning, kind of continually playing off the rhyming of need into other things and you know the melody of that, changing up the lyric but repeating that melody a lot. Um, he does that, you know pretty much on every song on here um sometimes i think it works pretty successfully other times it kind of just gets annoying after a while the you know the phrasing gets a little grating so every you every me i think is a a really cool kind of overdriven up-tempo song but after a while you know the the repeating phrase repetitive phrasing you know probably the last minute of the song you're like okay i think i got enough you know, I mean, I understand that that's the way he write. You know, kind of creates a hook, is that you start to pick up on those phrases and the, and the repetition of them start to stick with you because of that. Um, so it's kind of effective in that way, but it kind of walks a line of of, of working uh, for you to pick up on it and remember it. But it also, I kind of get annoyed with it sometimes. What, what did you think about that aspect of the band? The, sort of that the melodic approach and the approach to hooks and repetition. I agree with you in that he definitely like finds a phrase or a or a, a certain string of notes that work well for him, and then repeats that over and over mm-hmm. again. Uh, and it it would have really helped if they had had some counter melodies here or there. Mm. Which I can't think of any significant vocal going on besides his. Like it's always just about him. And yeah. It would Brick be House, they try to use a, um, there's like a counter vocal, but it's like got a walkie-talkie effect on it. Yeah. I don't think it's doing what you're saying. I don't know. No. Sort of like if you think about, um, off the top of my head, like Monkey Wrench. Uh, when you get to that, when you get to the end of the song and he's singing the main melody and then there's that fall in, fall out sort of quieter melody that's going on behind it. Yeah. It just adds a slightly different melody and, and, makes it you know a little bit bigger and a little different and there just needed to be some parts where he's not because his voice and this is the problem i've always had with this band and I, I tried to overcome it is that his voice is really grating and you know you mentioned getty lee well rush can get away with long musical passages yeah to sort of break up there's not a lot of long musical passages in that sense with placebo yeah there's a lot of his voice and it just i do give them credit for 
playing with there's a lot more diversity to the to the tempos on this record than I ever recalled. I don't really remember necessarily like spending a lot of time with this record, but I do remember listening to it at least once. And to my mind, I thought they were just sort of doing a modern take on Bowie essentially. Yeah. And and glam rock. But there's a lot more introspective, quieter moments on this record that I than I recall and I respect that because that was probably not the easiest thing to figure out in terms of how to use his voice because it works so much better on when he can be like a little bit sneering and a little bit cocky uh, and have attitude behind his voice on songs like Pure Morning and Brick Shit House and those sorts of records or those sorts mm-hmm. of songs. And they could have done a whole record like that, but it, I imagine that would have gotten really tired. And yeah. they really expand their sound a lot by playing with slower tempos and um uh, like you mentioned, track uh, track three, you don't care about us, has a definite new order vibe, um, which I'm fine with too. I mean, it's it's easy to pick up on, but it's still a really good song. Yeah. Um, it's just that I would have liked to have heard either somebody else step up and do some vocals just to counter what he's doing. I don't need them to sing entire verses or choruses or anything like that, mm. or for him to actually do something different here and there because like good example like you said every you every me you can play with that melody at the end of the song you can you can take it off into different directions and just not repeat the same thing over Mm. and over again i don't know if if he wasn't comfortable with doing that if that he wanted to stay in his range or what but you know that's what we got so it's it's a little bit of a frustrating record in that respect one of the songs i think is interesting is track (laughs) six track six allergic right in the middle of the record Mm -hmm. um it's probably to me the most successful song on the record and my favorite about it is that it actually it's interesting in that it's in the middle and that it combines a lot of the other elements of the record so you got the cool like buzzy bass guitar sound you've got this great guitar riff over top that's like um it's it's a melodic line but it's got enough fuzz on it to make it kind of a, a little bit unpredictable sounding and have some life to it um his vocal sits over top of it really well um at the two minute mark it goes into this kind of um, so it's so the last tr- track on the song, "Evil Dildo," is mm-hmm. uh, kind of a noise track, but it's got like this in, almost like industrial sounding, you know, noisy guitars and drum loops and stuff. Well, Allergic has that sound, but it's only for brief parts of the song, sort of at the end and at the two minute mark, and it's kind of a cool little, I guess, where a guitar solo might go, but it's a cool little interlude, and it's not like it fits in with the rest of the song, so it's a kind of a natural transition to it. Um, 
And the song's short. It's only three minutes and 30 seconds. Um, you know, it's melodic. It's got everything I like about the band all, you know, sort of compacted into um, a pretty short song. And it's right in the middle of the record. It feels like it incorporates everything that the record does well into one one little you know nugget. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm drawn to that kind of stuff. And I, I think when you you were talking about this band early on in this podcast, you said uh, you thought of them more of a singles kind of band, or at least that's how you knew them. And I start to see, see what you mean by that, because I think on this record, I would remember them because of Pure Morning and Allergic and maybe one or two other songs. But um, I think a lot of the other material is, you know, it's, I don't know, album material, you know, doesn't really stand out. No, not, not very memorable. And they definitely put, to, I mean, Pure Morning to me is like one of the best, I don't know if they're considered Britpop, but like in terms of 90s Britpop singles, I, I think it's one of the best singles. It's a wholly unique song in terms of its sound, you know, starting out with that drum riff and mm. the slightly distorted snare drum. And um, it's got that like distorted bass going on. It almost sounds industrial, but the, it's not, and it has this clever wordplay, and it's you listen to the lyrics, you're like, "Is this dirty or not?" Like, you're, it's it's a really interesting, challenging song with a really memorable hook, which is hard to do. Like, it's hard to write something that's that interesting, yeah. musically, melodically, lyrically, and yet keep it so poppy. Yeah, um, yeah. It's that's just. I think it's just one of the coolest sounding songs of that decade. Yeah, it's a really cool mix of um, of tones and of uh, treatments and sort of approaches. Like it's it's loopy and hypnotic, but it still sounds human. If that makes sense. And mm-hmm. so, and there's a lot of delay being used both on the guitars and the drums to kind of create the rhythms and stuff, which is kind of cool and. Uh, I, I would say though that the thing that's weird about that song is like it's kind of unique even amongst their catalog you know what I mean like I don't mm-hmm. know that much other material they've written that is like that they tend to go in more above I don't know I think the later mid stuff is is more of just in a rock you know an alt rock direction in more up tempo and and, and or sort of um, introspective kind of quiet ballads like this song pure Mor- morning is like in the middle of that and it's really successful but i don't know that there's a lot of other material they've done that's that's like that which is odd it's almost like i forget that that's them like i think of that song as being like i remember when it came out i just assumed it was a band like tripping daisy or something you know what i mean like i didn't i would have never thought that it was a sort of a an English band or sort of a glam. It doesn't even sound glammy. If that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like some of the other stuff that's a little bit more up tempo. Um, I kind of can get the glam feel from it, but mm-hmm. that song is, I don't know. It's an oddball in their catalog to me. Well, it sounds like glam filtered through like nineties industrial or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now we'll mention that in terms of the producers on this record, so the main producer was uh, Steve Osborne, who worked with 
the Happy Mondays and Lush, Curve, Suede, Elbows, Doves, all sorts of bands that we've heard mm-hmm. of. Aqualung. Now, on the credits for this album, Phil Vinal, who I don't know about any much about, is credited as the producer of Pure Morning, hmm. which was recorded in a separate studio. Uh, oh. It was recorded at Livingston Studios in London, whereas the rest of the album was recorded at Real World Studios in Bath. So, interesting. I don't know why yeah, it that... It does have a different approach. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, and especially on their first record with that big sort of, like you mentioned, delayed guitar and, and buzzy guitar. Um, mm-hmm. Like it made me think of Nick Zinner's guitar from Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs a lot and reminded me a lot of that band in general uh, in terms of where they got their sound. It seemed like a lot of placebo was it was an influence. Yeah. I think on the surface, if it's if fits the record, it's just when you really dive into it and analyze it and start looking at it, compared to the rest of the material, it starts to become obvious that there's some kind of different approach going on there that isn't on the rest of this record or any of their other records, to be honest. Hmm. So, interesting. Yeah. Uh, I was just reading a quick blurb. It says that the band switch produces at the last minute to get Phil Vanell to produce Pure Morning which was also recorded at the last minute, and it was originally just going to be a B-side, and it ended up being they're probably the huh. biggest single. So it was the last song they did for the record? Yep. <clears throat> huh. And they didn't even think so it was going to make weird. the record, which we've well, I, I think we've heard that more than a few times where yeah. people were like, well, we recorded this song late, or we had this song, and we didn't really think much of it, and then it yeah. becomes the biggest single that they ever have. Yeah, there's something about, um, I think we've, had a little bit of a taste of this, but when you get in sort of studio mode, you're been working on these songs forever and you sort of get in a groove of doing that. And if all of a sudden at the end, you'll kind of reapproach something from a completely different angle, either as a band or as a, as a writing process and something completely different will happen and it'll sort of be magical. So sounds like that's probably what happened here. Mm-hmm. So do you think that, you know, Placebo has done well in the, in the UK, but they've never really caught on in, with mainstream audiences the way that, like, future bands would, like, Coldplay or Muse in the United States. Um, and Muse definitely has, like, a theatrical aspect to them. They didn't start out that way, but I think they've grown more into the, right. the basically the current queen is, uh, is what I would describe them as. Um do you think the fact that there's a underlying, there's a lot of reference to drugs, there's references to sexuality, that the sort of confrontational nature of his lyrics is what holds them back? Or do you think that his vocal, you mentioned sounding getting like, like Getty Lee, is something that people have a hard time grasping? Because when I think of like, Matt Bellamy from Muse, to me, he sounds a lot like uh, Tom York, who obviously did pretty well in the United States with Radiohead. But when yeah. I think of Coldplay, to me, Chris Martin has a very traditional you know, rock balladeer voice, and Brian Mulco does not. Yeah, those two bands fit a prototype, right? I mean, you can mention, you just did, you can mention other bands that they are, that you can relate to in some way, and you can kind of match them up, whether 
maybe not their whole career, but aspects of their career. So, you know, news has aspects of them that are like Radiohead and Radiohead was successful. So you can kind of project that forward to, to Muse and they have aspects to them that are similar to Queen and you, you know what I mean? And Queen was successful and you can kind of make sense of that. And Coldplay has aspects of them to them that are similar to U2 and you can, you know, this band, there's not as much of that to do, to work with. I think they're a little, I think they're more, a little bit more original. At the same time, I don't think they have the range that either of those two bands have, particularly Muse, in terms of um, they don't push things as quite as far in terms of either, you know, being able to write a song that's, I mean, Muse, especially in the last two or three records, they've written songs that are specifically to be hits. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They, they seem like pretty smart guys. Like they figured out a way where they can make records where they can do crazy, proggy, musician, nerd out stuff and explorational stuff. But then they always put two or three songs on there that are clearly written to be hit singles and they it's worked they you know they've been in singles and i don't think placebo has that in them necessarily to 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 operate that way they are who they are and they're comfortable in sort of the space they're in and they're not going to go too far from that in either either a either direction um you know they're not going to do like a coldplay thing and write ballads you know sentimental ballads that that girls are going to like and they're not going to and pop, and pop radio is going to like, and they're not going to go far enough in terms of, you know, being overly musicianship oriented. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think they're in the middle ground. I think that that ground is probably easier to live in in Europe. It's not here. We are very much, you know, either you're a hard rock slash new metal you know, kind of band or you're a Coldplay. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot in in the middle there. I mean, even they're not; they don't map to either of those. And when we mention, you know, what this band sounds like, you go, "Well, it's sort of like Getty Lee fronting Smashing Pumpkins and New Order, with yeah. some David Bowie thrown in." <laughs> right. You and I, as you know, music geeks, love that combination right. of things. But if you think about commercial radio in America, there, uh, no place for that. This was a tough one because I did really like a lot of this record, but then I was bored by a lot of the record. And a lot of the reason why is because you mentioned the repetition of of things that mm-hmm. sort of get ground over and over again. Um, but I did appreciate their willingness to take chances on, on some of the slower songs um, that I was not really ready for. So... Mm-hmm. I'm I'm teetering on in terms of my overall rating of worthy album, better EP, decent single, somewhere between a worthy album and a better EP. Um, I would probably trim this down to like seven tracks, and I would I think I could find a really good seven or eight track listing. Um, what about you? Where are you at? Uh, same place. I think uh, there's four songs, three or four songs on here that I really really like a lot. Um, and there's a lot of material that, uh, I'm okay with, you know, um, if I put this record on, I would make it through the whole thing without skipping, but I would certainly, it's a little bit of a roller coaster ride in terms of, you know, like pure morning. And then there's a couple songs where it's like, okay. And then I like Ash for answers. And then there's a song that's okay. And then I like allergic and then there's a song that's boring. And then I like every you, every me. And then there's, you know, the rest of the album, which is 
average. So it's mm-hmm. kind of an up and down experience for me. But I, I don't think there's anything on here where I sort of, you know, groan and roll my eyes and hit skip. I'm just less engaged than some other material. So I'm, I'm saying I'm saying a worthy record. You're saying a worthy record, worthy album. All right. Worthy album. All right. Well, we're close. We're basically uh, in the same ballpark. But if you have a different opinion, feel free to chime in either at our digmeoutpodcast.com page or our uh, Facebook posts when we put this one up. Uh, leave us some feedback on what you think about this record. And uh, we had a hard time finding it, actually. It's not on Spotify. And uh, I think I had to direct you to Groove Shark, Jay, where all the, the kids are <laughs> hanging out over on Groove Shark. Which is something I thought you made up. But it's a real thing. I don't doubt it. It's also the name of a 1970s funk band, Groove Shark. Jeez. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if you did. If you didn't know that, but that's. Uh, I did not know that. Yeah, Kansas City's finest, Groove Shark, coming funking in their way into a town near you. Uh, no. If you want to suggest an album, like we mentioned earlier, head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com, request a review page, follow the directions, send us an album, and uh, we will review it. And of course, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. Jay, today is the opening day. We're recording this uh, on the opening day of the NFL season. Well, not the opening day, the opening Sunday. Actually, the opening day was on thursday but uh what's your prediction for the browns 2013 seven and nine i'm going six and ten on the bills oh come on no way what do you mean no way like that's far too harsh you're really gonna go eight and eight i'll be shocked if they win more than three games oh go to hell go to hell you go right to hell you go to hell and you die (laughs) this is a six and ten team this is the team that's gonna like Win one of those stupid, you know, 44 to 42 games against a team that they shouldn't beat, and they're going to lose ridiculously bad games to teams that they're supposed to beat. Comes on the quarterback. Right. And they got a good young quarterback. Well, you don't know that. The big question mark could be a rookie phenom that makes a lot of stuff, unpredictable things uh, happen, or it could be a, a complete rookie nightmare. Either I know way, he doesn't have to retire it. in two years. That's all I know. <laughs> hey, man, but it'll be a good two years. <laughs> we'll see. At this point, I'll, we'll take one good year. Right. That's what we're all, either of us are asking for is just one good year. Not much. All right. So 79 to 6 and 10. Those are fairly uh, right. respectable uh, Bills and Browns records. <laughs> yeah. It's another fun year of That's NFL pathetic. football. That's what we've got to look forward to. So people will uh, will know by uh, this will be out on Tuesday. So the first week will be over, and people will know if we're, what path we're heading down already. So there you go. Cool. So uh, for Jay, I'm Tim. That's our wrap on placebo. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages.